Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. Hello, my name is Tom, and I'm in great need of 100,000 Al-Anon meetings, and I'm glad to come all the way across the uh, BART to San Francisco and hang out with you. Um, I, uh, what it was like and what happened and what it's like now, uh, I have to remind myself at times like this that... uh, this is not the time to discuss outside controversial issues or reminisce about things that happened 300 years ago. None of that helps. Um, and I have a mind that can be very wandery. So if my mind wanders, I hope you can come along with me. And if not, don't worry about it. Um, I, uh, uh, I've lived in Oakland for a long time. I grew up in San Jose. And I'm from a family which is just full of alcoholics. Um, and, and we have learned all of the tricks and routines and delicacies of any alcoholic families. On the Irish, Catholic, Democratic side of the family, we didn't call them alcoholics, we call them characters. <laughs> and we would say things like, Sean is surely a character, isn't he? And what that meant was, don't let him drive. That's what it meant. (laughs) But it took me a few years to realize we spoke in code. And to really know what's going on, you had to crack the code. We never used the word alcoholic. It was, uh, they were characters, or they had the problems, or you're not feeling well. That also covered a remarkable number of bad things. On the uh, Swedish Lutheran Republican side of the family, we didn't have alcoholics either. We had nervous people. And, and we are Swedes right off the boat. My mom was born and raised there and, and came over when she was 16 and, of course, lived in Minnesota because you have to, and then uh, came out here on the West Coast. And, and we were surrounded by alcoholics, but you, you can't say it out loud. If you say it out loud, it, it's real. So we're going to use euphemism and circumlocution and denial and uh, distraction. And then we don't have to talk about some of the nightmare stuff that happened. My mom uh, got a letter from one of her relatives in Sweden uh, after a couple of her children were in recovery. Hushed, hush, shameful, shameful. One of her children has just gone into alcoholism treatment in one of the hospitals in Stockholm. Nervous, embarrassed, shy, nervous, embarrassed, shy. And my mother whispered the letter to me over the telephone. (laughs) And I I, uh, uh, said to my mom, well, write her right back and tell her that two of your sons are sober and Alcoholics Anonymous, and this is such good news. And my mother said, I couldn't possibly do that. (laughs) Because in her generation and in her way of doing things, you're not just alcoholics, you're full of shame and you're full of grief and you're full of guilt because of alcoholism. And when I started coming into Al-Anon, one of the things I learned 
uh, from Claudia Black and a few other people is that in crazy families and unhappy families, a couple of rules get followed. There's always rules. And rule number one is don't talk. There are some things we do not talk about, we avoid at all cost. Number two, don't trust. Today's confidence becomes tomorrow's ammunition. We don't trust anybody. Don't air your dirty linen. Keep it private. And that's still my first reaction of, oh my God, don't tell anyone. So don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. When you're a small child, that helps you survive. But it really gets in the way of being a healthy adolescent if there is such a beast. And it really cripples adults in terms of forming any kind of relationships. And, and what I've had to learn in Al-Anon was learning how to talk about stuff that's real. Learning how to have feelings knowing they come and they go. One of the women in the East Bay, uh, a woman named Bobette, who worked for, for Olivia Records, enough said. Um, <laughs> Bobette said uh, what she had to learn in her recovery was when you, get, when you get into recovery, you feel better, you feel everything better. She also taught us feeling anything is better than feeling nothing. And I had to choose to believe that. Because some days I don't feel good at all, but I'm feeling something rather than being flat and learning how to trust people. And that's a long process. So I'll talk a little bit about that tonight in the three hours that they've given me. <laughs> um, so I, I uh, uh, began my recovery. Um, I, I was going to be a teacher. I wanted to be a high school teacher. My first teaching job as a student teacher was here in San Francisco at Mission High in 1971, and then I taught in Los Angeles for a hundred years. And uh, uh, I'd had no understanding at all of any of the Al-Anon stuff until I first got sober myself. And, and uh, that opened the door. That was the beginning of, of a lot of recovery for me. And some people get, so, uh, get into Al-Anon and then join AA, and some of us get into AA and then join Al-Anon, and some of us get into AA and Al-Anon and find other 12-step programs that save our lives. I think that's a good thing. My sponsor, who also an adult child of an alcoholic and, and a hopeless alcoholic of the worst kind, uh, my sponsor, the way he's raised me in recovery is to say that we, the members of the 12-step programs, are friends and companions and allies. We are not the opposition. We are not the enemy. And we do this together. The door gets open, but over time we learn how to become friends and companions and allies, and I have to be remembered of that sometimes. Anyway, I was sober for a couple of years before I decided I could use a little Al-Anon. And the reason I needed Al-Anon was because I was teaching high school kids. <laughs> and they all act like alcoholics. <laughs> and one of the things that got me into trouble was I was reacting to them. I was not 
I was not in a centered place making decisions, they would come at me with adolescent craziness and I would respond with adolescent craziness. <laughs> and I would react and I would react and I would react and I felt crazy and exhausted and angry all the time sober a couple of years. And I was on a weekend retreat workshop with a group of people in Riverside, California, men and women, um, and, and a lot of couples were there, and I was in and out very busy helping people, even if it killed them. And <laughs> I went into this meeting, and the Saturday night meeting was a, was a, a group meeting of AA and Al-Anon people together, and the AAs allowed the Al-Anons to talk, which is always so helpful. <laughs> And I heard a couple share, and she was the alcoholic, and he was the Al-Anon. And what he said, what the man said, they'd been married for many, many years. What the man said was, in Al-Anon, I learn how to live with a crazy person and not go crazy myself. And I needed to hear that because I was crazy, and I knew I was crazy. I was reacting all the time. I was screaming at kids. Um, uh, this is, uh, years ago, this is in the uh, late, late 70s, um, there was a band called Devo. Um, I kind of like Ella Fitzgerald, Sinatra. Anyway, there's a band called Devo, and one of these 16-year-old kids loved Devo. And he was telling me that it was the greatest music ever written, and it was changing his life, and it would change the future of the human race. And I was 35, 6, 7, 8 years uh, uh, old, and, and uh, several years in recovery, and I found myself screaming at a 16-year-old about music. And I realized that I was the crazy one. <laughs> I, 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 a grown-up, adult, mature person would have said, oh, I'm so happy for you. I was yelling at this kid as if it mattered. <laughs> and I realized I was busy reacting. So anyway, I, I went to Al-Anon, and my first Al-Anon meeting was uh, in Los Angeles on Wilshire Boulevard, and uh, mostly women, mostly wives, and uh, a couple of men sat in the back, and um, the, the woman that ran the meeting had been running the meeting for 30 or 40 years. <laughs> and in her benefit, she knew a lot. She was very street savvy. She was kind of a combination of Martha Stewart and Heloise. And <laughs> If you've ever been to an Al-Anon meeting, they read a lot of crap. They have to read this and they have to read that. And you can be reading a lot of stuff before the meeting starts. Um, I know some people think the reading is the start of the meeting, but I'm not one of them. And, uh, and then after they read every imaginable thing that has been printed about Al-Anon recovery, people would bring this woman their problems. And they would say, I'm having a difficulty with this, I'm having a difficulty with that. And she would solve the problems. <laughs> now, in her behalf, 
she was smart. She knew a lot. She was very helpful. But what she did was not Al-Anon. Uh, when we can solve everybody's problem, when we have advice for everybody and a solution for everybody, it means we're crazy. <laughs> it doesn't mean we're doing well. So um, anyway, I, I next went to an, another Al-Anon meeting that was very mixed and a variety of people. And, and they followed the traditions. And what we learned to do there was share experience, strength, and hope. And you start learning the Al-Anon voice where if you're talking about something and you're having a difficulty, I might share, if I've had a similar situation, I can share that with you and I can tell you what worked for me. I don't tell you what you should do. You know, move in, move out, shoot them, kill them. We don't give advice, <laughs> you know. My experience with Al-Anon, too, is this is a lot like stopping smoking. Um, you stop smoking a couple of times before you stop smoking. A lot of us join Al-Anon a couple of times before we join Al-Anon. Uh, so my first bout was with uh, high school kids, and, and then I left that. It was time to run for my life. I changed careers. And I moved to West Oakland and did social work. I will fix you. I know what to do. I have boundless energy and idealism. I can solve this. And I, I became extremely burned out and crazy, staying sober. But emotionally, I was dangerous on a regular basis. And I got involved in some Al-Anon for a while, and then I dropped it. And then when it was time for me to really join Al-Anon, it was time for me to start dealing with the family stuff, you know, good old mom and dad, let's have a conversation. So um, I come into Al-Anon 25 or 30 years ago, exhausted and enraged. And that's what brought me to Al-Anon. Uh, and I, I got a cassette tape of a woman named Blanche. And Blanche is from... Uh, Salada, Texas, one of these. She taught high school kids in, in uh, West Texas, um, in Odessa Midland. I mean, uh, they made a movie out of it, uh, you know, Friday Night Lights. And, and she was an English teacher and, and uh, had nothing but sheer madness around her. She got into Al-Anon recovery. And as a good teacher, she talked about recovery in her experience, and I list, it was one of those uh, cassette tapes I listened to over and over and over and over and over again. And every time I listened to it, there was something new in it. And she said when she grew up as a little girl in northern Florida, she learned some stuff, and, and in Al-Anon she finds out that some of the stuff she learned as a little girl just isn't true. For instance, uh, as a little girl she heard, what you don't know can't hurt you. And she said, listen, what I did not know about alcoholism almost killed four people. I had to learn about this disease. And she, she jumped in with both feet. She also uh, uh, heard as a little girl that God helps those who help themselves. And she says, that's not true. You know, God helps those who ask. And one of the things I have to do on a regular basis is remember to ask God for help. 
So one of the things I, and I met Blanche, there was a gay conference in Houston, Texas. This is years and years and years ago when I was going to be the Sunday morning speaker, speaking for, uh, for uh, the AA community. Uh, and I got there late and they had a Saturday night banquet and they had all the speakers sitting around one table and they asked uh, a variety of people to speak it for the Al-Anon part of the conference and no one could go and no one could go and no one could go. Thanksgiving weekend is busy. And number 37 on the list was Blanche. And they said to her, you know, everybody in Texas is busy this weekend, but you, uh, can you come? You're our 37th call. Now that's not gracious. I just want to mention that. That's not gracious. <laughs> But she's an Al-Anon and wants to help everybody, so she said, well, of course I'll come. <laughs> so I get there in Houston, and it's, it's full of people, and, and I, I get to the table, people are already eating, and they go around the room uh, and shake hands with all the other speakers, and there was this woman of a certain age, and she said, hi, my name is Blanche. And it was like I had seen Jesus. I said, oh my God. <laughs> You have saved my life. And I just gushed all over her for the rest of the evening. And we became good friends. Um, she taught me some stuff about being a human being, about minding my own business, about keeping my big fat mouth shut. Because I have opinions. Um, one of the first things I started hearing in Al-Anon was this slogan, act, don't react. Act, don't react. I'm a reactor. I'm the youngest child in an alcoholic home. And I react on a cellular level to crazy. <laughs> and I do it before I even know it. I'm not even awake to this information. And that's why I had to be sober for a while before I'd even notice how desperately manipulative I could be. Um, we learned from Dr. Silkworth that alcoholism is an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. I like that definition very, very much. At a meeting once, I heard someone else say, alcoholism is a lot like dancing with a gorilla. You're not done dancing until the gorilla is done dancing. And just to be clean and fair and honest about it, when I first heard the story, they didn't say dancing. They said dating. And they didn't say dating. So there you are. But if you could get the picture... Uh, I mean, I understand some gorillas are really cute and you can have a great time with the right gorilla. <laughs> the problem is they kill a lot of us. You know, the casualty rates of people who dance with gorillas is very, 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 very high. So here's the story. If you're clean and sober today, it means the gorilla has let go. If the gorilla has let go, get out of the cage.
you don't go back into the cage, even when the gorilla starts humming your song, which it does. You suddenly hear music and one more spin around the cage. Um, Now, if the gorilla has let go, it doesn't mean you're smarter than the gorilla. It just got bored, maybe fell asleep. One of my friends in Las Vegas says, uh, um, he doesn't want to dance with the gorilla, but every so often he'd like to pet it just a little bit. People who love alcoholics and addicts visit the zoo a lot. (laughs) And they look at the lions and the tigers and the bears, you know. And then you go by the gorilla cage and you see the person you love dancing with the gorilla and you go wild, you react. Now, it might be your partner. You know, that's its own special kind of craziness. Some of us love dating alcoholics. Some of us love marrying alcoholics. Um, It's not my problem. (laughs) Some of us, um, the the, the person in the cage, uh, might be uh, one of your parents, your mom or your dad. Might be your brother, your sister. All that's very crazy making. Might be one of your kids or one of your grandkids. The new population coming into Al-Anon are parents of alcoholics and addicts or grandparents of alcoholics and addicts. And no one understands the level of insanity they live with except another parent. I've tried sponsoring people who marry alcoholics, but I don't get it. So I don't do that anymore. Um, but I can talk to adult children pretty well because I've been there. I know that story. And I don't have kids. I, I gave a talk in the East Bay about alcoholism and recovery, and a, a woman of a certain age came up to me, and she had a little girl with her. And with the wisdom of Solomon, I figured grandmother, granddaughter. And um, I said, hi. And she said, oh, I have to talk to you. And I said, why? My daughter's out there. And I said, I don't have a daughter that's out there. Don't talk to me. Then I, there are a lot of people in the room. I said, how many people have a daughter who's still out there? And a dozen people raised their hands. I said, get their phone numbers. They know. They understand. No one else does. No one else does. It's just an isolating disease. So we walk by the gorilla cage. We look into the gorilla cage and we see the person we love with the gorilla and we go crazy. We must do something. We must take steps. We must take action. And so we get into the cage and we begin to vacuum and to sweep. We move the furniture around trying to get the right uh, uh, feng shui. You know, we're Californians. Get this right. And when none of that works, we make nice, nutritious little meals. That doesn't work. We try to get between the gorilla and the person we love, and the gorilla turns on us and yanks our arms and legs off. So, we have a program too, and it's called Al-Anon. And a lot of the Al-Anon program 
comes down to stay out of the cage. Let's say that together. Stay out of the cage. But I only want to sweep a little bit. I know, I know. And it doesn't help anyone. So we're meeting over by the giraffes and we'll have our conversation there about our need to sweep and measure and fix all that stuff. Oh. It is a relief for me to know that a lot of things are none of my business. It also is important for me to know that loving someone does not change them. I keep thinking if you love them enough, you know, I mean, I've seen the movie. Um, <laughs> The serenity prayer, which we say a lot and I like a lot and I, I, I prefer it to a lot of other prayers. Um, it says, give me some serenity because I have to make some decisions. It's not a good idea to make decisions when you're real upset. It's not a good idea to make decisions if you're real high. It's not a good idea to make decisions if you're really, really low. You want to be in a centered place, a serene place. And there are some things I cannot change, and I need to know what those are. Here are three things I cannot change. I cannot change the past. I cannot change the truth. And I cannot change you. Well, that frees up the whole day. <laughs> I can't tell you how often I have tried to change you so I would sleep better. Can't change. What can I change? I can change my thinking. I can change my attitudes and I can change my behavior and that's what the 12 steps focus on. My thinking, my behavior, and my attitudes, even in the smallest possible ways. And that takes a long, long time. <laughs> There's a, a Peanuts cartoon, uh, Lucy and Charlie Brown, and uh, Lucy asks Charlie Brown, how many times does five go into three? And Charlie Brown says, five doesn't go into three. And Lucy says, it does if you push. Um, I have to remember over and over and over again just to leave some stuff alone because it's none of my business. I can't control the outcome. Let go of this stuff. Let go of this stuff. In Al-Anon, we too use don't get too hungry, don't get too angry, don't get too lonely, don't get too tired. That's very, very important stuff. We also use this. It's W-A-I-T. Why am I talking? <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha.
I find in, in my Al-Anon recovery, um, one of the things I have to watch on is the level of rage. And I know you're not supposed to ever get angry if you have a spiritual program. <laughs> I was in Los Angeles at a meeting and I mentioned that I still, I, I, I can just get furious. And I mentioned that and someone said, if you were really spiritual, you'd never get angry. <laughs> and I said, that's so helpful. I need to know what to do with my anger. And uh, so we, we, we talk about this sometimes in, in the very secret Al-Anon meetings, which we never tell AAs about. Um, but rage can be the issue. And uh, one of our friends from uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, her husband was a bad drunk, and he always fell asleep on the uh, living room wall, uh, uh, carpet. And one night after putting in a very long day, she came home, found him passed out like before, and she's a nurse, and she'd been through a lot of business. She was exhausted, and she said to herself, a lot of alcoholics drowned in the bathtub. So she took his clothes off and threw them around the room and, like he would, and then she filled the tub and put him in the tub and held him down until uh, the bubble stopped. And then it occurred to her this might be off, so she pulled him out and, and gave him artificial respiration. I am wrapping it up. I'm wrapping it up. Um, uh, I'll stop now. <laughs> the voice of the people is the voice of God. Um, and uh, anyway, she, she got him out of the bathtub. She gave him artificial respiration. She brought him back. She dried him off. She put on his pajamas. She put him in the bed and she blow dried his hair. Now, the reason Al-Anons find that story hilarious is because she did the complete cycle in one night, from wanting to kill him to making him sleep nice, you know. So I, I like that a lot, and I brought it back to the East Bay to an Al-Anon meeting, and we said, uh, we need to talk about rage, and we can't, nice people don't. So rage, and, and we, we thought we would have a conference, and on it, one of the topics was murderous thoughts. That's what we were going to have, murderous thoughts. My suspicion, and I have no proof for this, is that Agatha Christie uh, was an adult child of an alcoholic. <laughs> and she'd been plotting the perfect murder since she was 11. That's what I think. So uh, we had the talk, and the woman that ran the conference, she was hilarious, and she was soft. People were very nervous. But she, she talked about it. People laughed so hard they cried because this is dark stuff that nice people never talk about. So the next year, we thought we were going to do the conference again, uh, but let's not call it murderous thoughts. Let's entitle it, What Would You Do With the Body? <laughs> Great conference. And then we, uh, this might be the conference for next year's Living Sober. I just suggest it. Um, so I saw my friend uh, a while later and I told her the impact she had and how, how helpful it is to be able to talk about some of this stuff that we just don't have words for. And uh, I told her, by the way, what were you going to do with the body? And she said, first things first, kill the son bitch. <laughs> now I'm done. 
what I find in Al-Anon is I get to mind my own business. I get to take care of my own acre. I get to leave you in God's good hands. And I learned this as a high school teacher. I thought a lot of those kids needed a friend and a lot of those kids needed a safe adult to talk to. And I thought I was the only one, which made me crazy. And the fact is, uh, there is one source, and that is the higher power. And there are many, many channels. And channels change all the time. And sometimes I get to be the channel, and other times other people get to be the channel. I'm not in charge of this. But at a conference like this, there are so many channels available. Uh, say hello, exchange phone numbers, sit down next to a stranger, have a conversation. If you are occasionally overwhelmed by the amount of energy in the room, that's really, really normal. Just lie down and take a nap. We'll all know what you're doing. <laughs> One day at a time, um, I am uh, given a reprieve from the worst of my crazy, and it's nice to share that with you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.